title of my message tonight is The Body of Christ. I've been thinking a lot lately about the body of Christ, and we've been working in our one-year Bible through 1 Corinthians and into 2 Corinthians. And as we do this, of course, my attention goes to the New Testament these days because Job is wearing me out. So I'm really focusing on the letter to the Corinthian church and... As we look at the body of Christ, I want us to have some considerations about this. Of course, we know that Jesus spoke concerning this analogy of the human body in regard to the people, but he spoke of his own body as the bread of life. He's the bread that came down out of heaven, and it says when we partake in him, when we eat of him, and he says, eat of me, he actually says it as a metaphor that we would partake in become part of his soul, part of his being. And this is what happens when we believe in Jesus. When we believe that Jesus died on the cross and took our sin, then was buried and rose from the grave, of course, we confess and say he's Lord, and that does what? It causes salvation. We confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, and we are justified, we are saved, our names are put in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is also the role for the church. We know that we are the church. Recently we've been talking a lot about the called out ones, the ecclesia is the group of people called together out of darkness into His light. Now when we are brought together into this amalgam, uh, this collective of people in one place, the term that the Apostle Paul used to describe the church frequently is the body of Christ. And whenever we talk about the body of Christ this, the body of Christ that, uh, the term is used a lot. In this case, it is used specifically to describe the church, the local church, but also the, the full church, the universal church. So all people who believe in Jesus, all people who confess Him as Lord and Savior are born into the body of Christ. But really, the the fruitfulness or the functioning of what is the body of Christ cannot be seen as easily in a universal perspective as much as a local perspective. So here tonight, those of us who are part of this church, part of Antioch, we are the members of the body of Christ. So concerning what Paul wrote to the church, which is us, we receive it. And I want us to see seven things about the body of Christ. And let's pray once more. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes to see the details of this letter written by Paul to the Corinthians because we are believers like they are and these words are meant for us in the church. So we receive them as words from heaven to encourage, to enlighten and direct us. Guide us with the lamp of your word so that we be the best possible church that we can be and that we all find our place in the body of Christ. So give us ears to hear and help me to be able to teach this message under your anointing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The number one that we see here of these seven things is the body of Christ is a collection of many. It's a sort of an eclectic. If, if you went to my house, I have a collection of Legos. I know someone's going to say that already. Uh, Legos, and there are many different pieces. I have other things on the shelf that are not just Legos. Some of them are some toys and things that I've collected. So that is a group together, really in one theme, in one idea. So whenever you gather things together in a place, uh, we see this collection. But here the Word of God says concerning the church and its comparison to the physical human body. Just as a body, in verse 12 it starts, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So here it begins by saying that the many parts of the body of Christ are just like the human body. The analogy is a physical body. We are all physical beings. But we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And there are several places in Scripture where it talks about the Holy Spirit being the force that unifies us. It's all one spirit. And so we see an actual entrance into our involvement or our identification as the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Now this word baptism is used in connection to the spirit here and everywhere that baptism and spirit are used together. It's not speaking of water baptism. It's speaking of a spiritual baptism. That where two or more gathered, his presence is there. If we are there in that thick presence of God, therefore we are immersed, baptizo, inside of the cloud of God. We are here in that. That is how we are born. When we come into the church and we yield to the Holy Spirit and His presence, that is what includes us in the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And that's interesting because not only do we see our entrance into the body, but also our maintenance. If I do not drink, I will die. If, if I, as a human body, we know the most important thing for us, really, water. A man cannot survive without water. It's a short period of time that we will live without water. We become dehydrated, our system shuts down, and we will suffer, and there will be catastrophic failure of our organs, and we die. So we have to hydrate constantly. You have to give your body water. Often in the middle of the night, I wake up, you know that super thirst that somehow comes on you and I will get up and go and get a glass and put water in it and drink. How many of you do that in the middle of the night? You fill a big glass and blah, 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 blah. Like more than you would usually drink in any other time. It's because as you are sleeping, your body is being dehydrated. It needs more water. So you know the feeling of needing it. Now the comparison that Paul uses to the church or the body of Christ is that of the physical body and the water is the spirit. And it says specifically, we drink that. So firstly, we are immersed in the Spirit. We come together as a group in the body of Christ. We are born again, believe in Jesus. Our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. That makes us the church, or also, synonymously, the body of Christ. But now, once born into it, we have to constantly drink of the living water. Constantly drink of the Spirit. Verse 14 says, Even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And all of the parts need equal hydration. All the parts must drink. All the parts must be immersed. And this is the analogy that I see concerning the physical human body to explain the way the church is as a living spiritual entity made up of many parts. This is not the only place in the Bible that the comparison is made to a physical being being that emulating the church. But it is definitely labored here by Paul right after he speaks about the gifts of the Spirit. He then immediately goes into where those gifts are in exercise in the body of Christ and the need for us to be together in that body. So we become a part of the body. Uh, we continue in that body as we drink. And then if, if we are no longer drinking, we know that we will become uh, increasingly thirsty and eventually dehydrated and really you cannot function without drinking the Spirit. If you're part of the body uh, you need to drink of the Spirit. You say, well, you know, yeah, we're here in the church, so if we're in the church certainly we drink. No, that's not a certainty. You understand? That is by volition. You drink. My mother used to say, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. I see people come into the church where God is moving. Not all are drinking. Some people watch others drink. And I know they're thirsty. I can see the thirsty look on their face. But they're not really drinking of the Spirit. So therefore, that puts them in a difficult position. It puts them in a danger of being spiritually dehydrated. So I recommend, whether you feel like it or not, that you drink of the Spirit. And if you do start drinking of the Spirit, well, then you will feel more and more like drinking of the Spirit. But at first, sometimes it's a little awkward. Maybe you have other things on your mind. You need to partake in the Spirit. If you're in the body, you need to hydrate, spiritually hydrate your being, or you will become unproductive. You'll dry up, and we don't want that to happen to you. So the body is made up of all these parts together as we are drinking and enjoying the presence of the Lord. Number two, you cannot separate from the body of Christ. Now, this is what he says in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
You understand? Just because my foot, let's just say that we can anthropomorphize it and make it into a human that talks, which is a little creepy, if my foot suddenly could start talking, even if it said, well, you know, I'm not a hand, I'm a foot, and so therefore if I can't be a hand, I'm not a part of that body. Does that cause my foot then to be separated from my body? If it could be separated from my body, if I were to take your foot, if I got a very sharp utensil of some kind, a saw for the bone and a very sharp machete, and I hack away around your ankle zone and saw through the bone, remove that foot, we put it on a shelf here at Antac, let's see how long it makes it without being connected to your body. That's gruesome. I know that's very gory to picture it, but I'm just going along with what the Bible says and what Paul's trying to make us understand. That it cannot be detached, even if it's not happy being a foot. Even if it decides that being a foot is not where it's at, being a hand is what is best. And I want to be a hand, but because I'm a foot, well, I'm not going to be a part of the body. That is the same in the spiritual analogy of us in the church. Whatever your function or your places in the church, that is what you are. You cannot decide to be separated from it. You cannot walk away from it. It goes on to say that if the ear should say, how many of your ears talk? Paul's using this as an analogy. Let's just say the ear could say, well, you know, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Now, it would not for that reason that it said it stop being part of the body because the ear is the ear, the eye is the eye, the foot is the foot, the hand is the hand. I need all four of those things. I don't want my ear to be my eye. I don't want my eye to be my ear. I don't want my hand to be my foot. Or vice versa. I want each part where it's at. Now, if my ear suddenly gets upset because it cannot see, or it is not functioning as an eye, well, that's a problem. My body may break down. I need the ear to be happy as the ear, and the eye happy as an eye. The foot happy as the foot, the hand because it is necessary, and you'll see later as we go through this explanation, it is necessary that they each be happy in that place. They, just because they are not happy and may express it. If a member in the church expresses a discomfort or being unhappy about being a part of the church, they cannot separate simply by a complaint. No matter how much you murmur and complain, you're still a member of the body of Christ. You're still in a place, you're still a part, and you are definitely a necessary part. And there's many reasons why somebody may suddenly become unhappy uh, with the church, the body of Christ, maybe universally, but also locally. It's easy to get unhappy with the body of Christ at large because we see things happening that we don't agree with. But we also, in the local church, may see things that we don't agree with. But just because suddenly we feel that, you know, I should be something that I am not, then we need to rely on the Lord to do that. But if not, then whatever you are, wherever God has put you, you need to be happy there. The reason is that the church is a conglomerate of many personalities and types of people, each in their respective roles, and we're not always going to get along with each other. We're not always going to fit. I would not want to keep some parts of my body in close proximity to other parts. Some parts you just keep separate from one another, using the analogy of the physical body. I, for one, am glad that my nose is not located in my pelvic region. <laughs> because it would be accosted by many odors that I would otherwise be able to avoid. God, in His great sovereignty, has put the nose up high in a lofty position that does not have to be exposed to certain things. Now, those other things are necessary parts. I need them too. So it's okay that if you do not absolutely fall in love with every member of the body of Christ. You don't need to be best buddies to be able to function as a body. Each respective part of the body has its place, its position. In fact, in a church that is healthy, you may have members that never see each other, never communicate with each other, never come together in some harmony necessarily, but it does not mean just because they are not happy about that other position that they're not a part. They are part. Because we're part of this amalgam, all brought together in a, in a dizzying mosaic of personalities. Every single individual is so different in the church and 
Every work, every job, later Paul's going to talk a little bit more about what those are. So <clears throat> they're all together. We will not always get along. However, we are not able to say that we are no longer a part of the body. It's because we don't like something. And that's what the point he's trying to get across here. It would be as crazy as your foot being jealous of your hand and then deciding to cut itself off. Because it can't, it can't be a hand, I don't want to be a foot. Well, the body's going to suffer. And you're, you are maimed at least short one foot. And that's not good. And this is what Satan understands. Satan uses the most ancient and proven technique of warfare tactic. There is a simple, simple thing he does. It's called divide and conquer. If he can divide any... any, any Kingdom divided against itself, Jesus says, cannot stand. So if division is there, in this case, uh, I'm not a hand, I'm a foot, and because I'm not, I'm no longer a puppet, well, then Satan's already won. If this mentality comes into our minds that we are, I'm not a part of the body of Christ, I don't like the way that person is, or those people are, or what this is, or that, <clears throat> that's fine. Worst case, if you feel like you need to separate, then use the universal approach to this, Find a church. You need to be in a church. But I think your best case is resolve whatever problems you have without separating yourself from the body. Because the body is put together as a learning laboratory for us to know how to resolve those issues or, actually more advantageous, learn to live with the differences. Uh, it does not, in this case, say that the hand suddenly started acting like a foot to make the foot feel better. The hand remained a hand, the foot remains a foot. Everybody's personality, everybody's attributes, certain characteristics will remain the same. But our option should never be separation. We review something that we already know out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is Faithful, And let us consider how we may spur, that's a pointed steel spike on a boot to stab a horse to make it go, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all and, and all the more as you see the day Approaching. That's interesting what we see here in this description of the amalgam or the collection of the members of the body in one place. These are very important. We make this entrance into so after we get saved, of course, we draw near to God with a sincere heart. Where do we do that? In the church, in the body of Christ. We then hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Where do we hold on? We hold on in the body in the church, in the gathering of people. Let us consider how we may, in that gathering, spur each other toward love and good deeds. Always encouraging you to let love conquer all problems, all issues, cover a multitude of sins, and then actually encourage each other to do good things, good deeds. Not giving up meaning. Why do I say not giving up meaning? Because sometimes it is a temptation and in fact, an inclination to give up on meeting. Just give up. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to. I see people do it all the time. I see people who have regularly attended the body. They're parts of the body. They're functioning in the church. But because of these problems and these issues of division, they start to pull away. Very dangerous thing to do. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You say, what day? Capital D, big day, the real D day, the end. Certainly when Christ is coming to take the church away. That day is maybe sooner than we think. It's coming quickly. It's interesting to see what's going on in the world, in the news, all these things that people are saying, the scientists and all these storms 
earthquakes, uh, wars, rumors of wars. I mean, everything the Bible says we are living currently, moving forward in. The day is close. So all the more, more than ever before, we should not give up meeting together. I, mean, I don't want to go because I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm a foot. And I want to be a hand. And I said I wanted to be a hand, but oh, sorry, it doesn't qualify you. It does not make you eligible to separate yourself. That's my whole point and what I believe Paul is trying to say. So for us to hold on to the hope that we profess, we have to together assemble. We work as a collective to continually encourage one another to move onward and upward. Number three, God put the body of Christ together as He chose. I've carefully selected the tenses of this statement. God put, it says, but in fact God has placed the parts in the body. Every one of them. Just as He wanted them to be. So let's start with that idea. The physical body, because the church, this is analogous to the church itself, which is the body of Christ. The physical body is in this room right now, as I look around, I see many bodies. They're all honestly virtually the same. Unless you suffer from some type of deformation, unless you were born with a birth defect, you understand, a missing organ, a deformed structure, bones, uh, something in your body, you're most likely the same as all the other people in this room. That means that there is a template and a design what we call a human being. In fact, the design is so repetitious that doctors study one dead cadaver in medical school and they look at all the parts of it and because pretty much everybody's going to be exactly the same. And they are. The nervous system is very similar. Some of them show a bit more wear and tear than others. Organs can fail, things like that. But by and large, 99.99% of the human bodies on earth are the same, their organs are in the same place. Why? Because God made man in His image and decided that's the way it would be. Well, I want you to understand that the church is the same way. The body of Christ, and this is what Paul is saying, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And we understand God made the will, in fact, of God should be for the body of Christ and for all of us as believers the highest priority in life. Why? Because we're subject to the King in His kingdom. We live in the kingdom of God. The church itself, the group gathered together, it is an embassy of the kingdom where we all come together under one rule, one leader, one spirit from which we drink and live, in Him we live and move and have our being. And He is King Supreme over us. We call Him Lord, and we are then subject to Him. As we are subject to Him, His will is what matters. He has a will, a purpose, for the body of Christ as He chose it to be, that He planned before this planet ever existed. You understand? Before the foundation of the earth, He predestined exactly what the shape would be. Not just the physical body, but by analogy, the church, the body of Christ. And actually, it's amazing because I can go through history and study movements and churches everywhere. I can travel to many nations, see many churches. They always are the same. Oh, but they speak different languages. Yeah, that's about the only difference. They may sit a little different. They may sing a little different. But ultimately, the spiritual components... As complex as a physical body is repetitious from body to body, I see that in churches. They're all copying things out of different manuals. They don't always follow the Bible. But by impulse, by instinct, things come about that form into the church and what it becomes. Why is that? Because God has placed the parts in the body. And so by design spiritually, if we are yielded at all to the Spirit and become the body of Christ, you're going to find each person in their place naturally. And it's so funny because I, whenever I learned the first template of a church, which was my home church, Philadelphia Church, later Living Word Church, now when I travel around, see different churches, I recognize all the members of that church, but represented in different individuals different people, the way they act, what they do, how they're functioning. And in my head, I, I tag them with names that are not those, but the people that I saw in those exact positions and functions with those same details and personalities in my first home church. 
Because my home church was a really good church. It was a wonder. I thank God that I was born again and put into that church because it showed me the form and the beauty of the body of Christ and I dovetailed into it as a member. And I was included and honored and respected and taught to function in the body as God had designed. So this passage says that the king, or God, put the parts together that we find just as he wanted them, past tense. So therefore now we live according to that plan. Uh, this means that he had before arranged this member orientation and distinction according to his eternal plan. So consider again this body, the physical body. Who designed it? God designed it. So therefore who designed the church? God designed it. Well, I don't like this about it. I don't like that about it. There may be things you don't like about it, but ultimately it's God's. It belongs to Him, and He designed it. Sometimes we have different interpretations of the design, but really it's not so much different than when you consider a house. What's in a house? Almost always you have a bedroom, a kitchen, a living room, a closet, right? It's always pretty much the same things. Almost any house I go into, I'm going to find a microwave and a refrigerator and a sink and a toilet. And it's really quite repetitious, isn't it? Maybe they're in different orientations, but all the elements are there together. And that's what makes the house complete. And then you go visit someone else's house and they have something you don't have. So what do you do? You go to the store and you buy that thing to make sure that yours is complete. It's okay to do that with analysis of churches. Sometimes you go visit other ministries and you say, hey, I like that. We don't do that. I don't have that in my church. That's in my group, we don't do that. And you feel like you need it. Don't ignore that feeling. You understand? That's God telling you, you're missing this part. And for you to grow into the full adult body of the church, the body of Christ, in your local expression, you're going to need that element. Right now, I'm telling you what God is doing here at Antioch. He's growing the church up. And many people are starting to feel instincts and ideas about what they're supposed to do. And, and we're going to see everyone coming into some position, functioning, and doing what the Father has designed us all to do. Number four, do not say you don't need each part of the body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the hand, he says, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In other words, you can't say you don't need somebody else in the body of Christ. You may think that they are a fifth wheel. You may think that life would be better without them. You may think if only our church did not have this person or that person or this personality. But as the scripture says in this analogy and it continues, you cannot say, I don't need you. In fact, it should never enter into your mind. You have to understand that whether you can appreciate each individual, whether you can assess their value, it does not diminish their value as a component to the body of Christ. Your body's full of organs, mechanisms inside of you that you know nothing about. There's at least... 20 different parts of your body that I could amputate from inside of you and put in front of you and you couldn't possibly identify. You, it would look like something for dinner that's not yet cooked. You wouldn't understand what it is. But each of those things are so vital you will not live without. You understand? There are a lot of things. There are some things God's given us some extra stuff. I can cut one lung out and still survive. I can take one kidney out and still survive. Now, if both my kidneys are gone, that's a very serious issue. I need at least some machine to keep you. It's not going to last very long, though. There are a lot of complications because all the parts are there. The liver is necessary. Sometimes even have thought through the years that, well, some parts are totally not needed at all. Who even needs uh, this or that? They'll name parts of the system appendix. Who needs an appendix? Just cut that thing out. And they thought that for the longest time, so when there's an appendicitis they simply do it. But right now they're working on the possibility of treating appendicitis. Because they found out the appendix does have a function. And its function is to reboot your system after you have had a, pur a thorough purging naturally. If you get food poisoning, sick, something like that. Nicole recently has experienced this. If, if you have that problem in your system, your body will take over and flush itself out with chemicals, acids, so strong. And that's why when you're sick, 
you will regurgitate that burning. You know, you ever have that? Uh, you feel it. Your throat is raw and sore. Why? Because these chemicals, acids, are working on the inside, basically just stripping everything out. It's like that once a year bathroom cleaning you do with all the bleach solutions and the <laughs> scrub brushes and the. Sh 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 I don't know, maybe you do it weekly. I don't do it weekly. But a severe cleaning, your body will purge itself like that. Now, once it does that, that. That happen, it actually will flush out all of your bacteria and all the culture inside of you that makes you able to digest and live life. That's why it takes so long for you to start eating normally again after you've had an experience like that because your body just can't handle it. So what happens? It has to build up again that base of enzymes or bacteria on the inside of you. That is what they found out the appendix does. The appendix is a hideout for the bacteria. When your body is being purged, it accumulates and holds, it holds, that little organ holds the bacteria to reboot your system after the cleansing. And they found that when after you've been cleansed, it emits and reseeds the bacteria again to reboot the system for digestion. And you find out the people who have had appendicitis and have had the appendix removed and thought, oh, it's actually harder for them to recover from such things. So, yeah, that's an obscure little organ, but I'm just compared compare again. I, I didn't start this analogy. Paul started it by direction of the Spirit. So every member, even if you don't understand it, it's got to function. It may not function for a long time. It may just sit over there like an appendix does for a long time. You may not get sick for years and that appendix is just sitting there. That doesn't mean you don't need it. It's just not time to need it. But the day, the season, the moment will come that that person will be exactly what you need them to be in that. So therefore, you cannot say, I don't need you. You better say, I don't know why I need you. <laughs> I don't know why I need you. I don't even like you. But don't go anywhere. <laughs> just in case. Just in case something happens and you turn out to be pretty crucially important, I have a suspicion that you're absolutely necessity to the well-being of my future. So uh, call it love if you want, but don't go anywhere. I'm rather that attitude than you just outright decide we don't need them. We don't need that person. We don't need this person. Be very careful. You need people. And here's the, actually this also is the, the danger of independence. And I want to talk about this because when I was a young Christian, I was very independent in the church. And in fact, I was criticized for having an independent spirit. But I liked the idea. And so when I was looking at this possible independence, I don't need you, I'm independent. There's a difference between independence of functionality and independence of membership. If you can be independent in your function. You can be in your church, the aforementioned appendix. That appendix can only do that one job and do well, that's it. That's okay. You're the member. You, that's your position. That's your task, whatever it is. If Caleb did nothing but push buttons on that laptop to put these words up here, that is really important. You understand? That's important. We are all benefiting from what Caleb is doing by, by putting the words up there. It's really important. That's not his only job. Of course, he's very useful. He does all kinds of things. But I'm just saying, if that's all he did, I would never be able to say, I don't need you. Then I would just be sitting looking at the same projection the whole time. And I've tried to use those little clickers. I can't stand them. I don't like having that task. It's like too much weight that I have to also click the clicker. I like somebody else to do it. I'm comfortable. And so we see functions. We see things that people can do. You say, well, what's your function, Stephen? Well, I'm lead worship. That's a function. I teach. That's a function. Very important function, right? Your function does not have to be so complicated. Uh, sometimes you are maybe a member who is more productive consecutively. In other words, you're always doing something. That doesn't mean that thing has to be a very complex task. I'll name an organ that you would probably consider the, the most important of all, outside of your brain, it would be your heart. Do you ever see what a heart does? Its job? It pumps. If I were to bring a bicycle air pump in here right now, and I wanted you to pump it, 
I would not have to give you a class on pumping that pump. Basically, it's that's it. You got it. Mastered it. You are a master at pumping if you can do that. A heart does that. Sometimes it does it faster. Sometimes it does it slower. But that's all it does. Well, it's so simple. Guy's job is just when you pump. That's all it does. I'm playing with the analogy now. Oh, I'm sorry, but. Uh, if you don't like the way it pumps, that's your problem. Perhaps it's not the best pump, but if it's pumping at all, it is a bona fide heart. <laughs> and you cannot remove it. No matter how simple the function is of the member, it is crucial. Even if it's just... <laughs> because the minute that that member stops pumping that pump, you die. <laughs> so we need the pumpers to keep pumping. If you're a pumper in the body of Christ, just pump away. Keep pumping. <laughs> Compliment the pumpers. If you see somebody pumping, say, you know what? You pump really well. I like the way you do that. Thank God for your, your advanced pump, pumping skills. You pump so perfectly. Perfectly. A pristine pumper. <laughs> But independent function is not independence from the whole group. And it's simple, whatever the function is, but it's not independence from the group. The group it has to be, but that there's only one pumping thing in you, and that's your, your heart's the only one pumping. Now your lungs are breathing in and out, really, but your lungs are not. I know you think they are. Your lungs are doing nothing. Your lungs are a couple of soggy sacks. It is your ribcage and your muscles surrounding that are expanding and contracting that are making the lungs move. So now you thought the lungs were so important in what they do. They don't do anything except for extract oxygen from the air that you put inside them, right? But it is another part of the body working with it. And you see all these analogies, no end to the analogies and the revelations you can get when you start thinking about us as members of a church as members of the body of Christ in relation to this physical body, the way it works. I know you think that you wouldn't die if your eyebrow was shaved off. <laughs> but in fact, if, if, if you ever had it happen, you know, or your eyelashes burnt off, I've had it happen, like, you know, trying to light a boiler in Mexico, very dangerous boiler. I've had them, and my whole head consumed in flame. And Turned out, you can't see in sunlight. I mean, it's horrible when your eyelashes are gone. Everything is so bright. You don't have, you have no idea how much shade is being given by those little eyelashes. Of course, they keep debris out, but they're also shading. Your, that's why you squint. You lower your brow and it's very bright. Because this hair, this hair is working to cause light not to reach the entry point of your eye so that you can see and then if it's not enough you do this right you give it a little bit more if that's not enough you get some ray-bans and you put them on the block but still those are, the ray-ban is not a natural part of your body but this is a natural part of your body that's why you know it's so funny most of the time when you see people that lose their hair God will let a man go bald but he usually doesn't let his eyebrows disappear. in fact I found people who are bald have bushier eyebrows it's like a compensation in India, I saw guys with eyebrows that look like serpents curling on amazingly long, like, and they don't trim them. I trim my eyebrows like this once a week. By the time I was 45, these bad boys started growing like Christmas trees. They were, they were curling out. I'd, I'd catch them up here, and I, had to, I started pulling them out, and I realized, no, I actually have clippers. I have to do it every once in a while. But I am not going bald, amen? <laughs> the hairline is not moving so far, so... But I guess if it did, maybe I'd have thicker eyebrows. Whatever the case... Whatever the case, I need my eyebrows, I need my eyelashes. You know, I need my skin, I need, I need all these things. You think, oh, you know, Stephen, you got those hairy arms, those hairy legs. You, you Caucasian people, you like bears. Guess what? Mosquitoes can't get to me. I'm serious. I know a place mosquitoes can't touch me. 
I see the mosquitoes landing on the hair. Hey, what is this? And they fly away and bite you with your bare arms. They leave me alone. I have protection. So yeah, I'm you know I can live and do things. This is important. Members of my body, things that would not seem important, are actually very important. And by the way, the eye can't hear. You can't hear with your eye. Listen. It doesn't work. Wait, let me look at that. Your ear can't see. You know, every single thing. That's what Paul's saying. You know, he don't say to the other organ, you, I don't need you. Because no. And it's really freaky. It, it says uh, in that other passage we read, I think it was right before, it said, what if the whole body were uh, one organ? Now, that's creepy. If I were a huge collection of ears up here, you would all run out screaming. You would go get a Catholic priest to come to an exorcism because this big old ear monster would be floating around. Worse would be just a big old stack of eyes up here. Eyeballs just looking at you. Big old giant toe tree. Just true toes. Thousands of toes, like an anemone. Just little toes. That's creepy. Of course, that's not normal. Everybody needs to be in their place. Uh, you know, your, your lungs cannot process food. You can't suck a hot dog up into your lungs and expect it to digest it. How many of you have ever accidentally done such a thing? You find out it is ill-equipped. Your, your, your windpipe is ill-equipped to process food. This horrible feeling when you're laughing. <laughs> and you feel that piece of sausage stuck in your windpipe. Very scary. You need a big man to perform the Heimlich maneuver on you and pump that thing out, spit it, because you can actually die. Because it's just that's why in the body, same thing. Every person in their place has a very specific job that nobody else can do. Lungs cannot process food. Your stomach's not breathing air for you. All kinds of things like that. You know, you you cannot drink margaritas with your butt. You know, there's things. <laughs> Things that cannot happen. It's just not going to happen. It's not designed to do that. Get that image out of here. Yeah, that's one image. Calm down, Patricia. Number five. Number five. We give greater honor to the weak parts of the body of Christ. Now it's going to get a little funny. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. We've just been talking about it. It says, in the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Yeah, if I honor, if I come to you and say, you know, I like your hair, your legs don't get angry. They're glad. At least it's a part of your body. Any part of the body that is good. There are other parts of the body that you will never see. There are parts of my body I'm not going to show you. I'm going to keep well hidden. I don't come up, hey, you want to see my nipple? Look, you really know. I don't do that. I'm very modest. I don't, I don't like... Uh, my family doesn't see my nipple. You know I mean? I, I'm... I'm if I come out of the bathroom, it's not just that I dress. I'm very modest. You don't know. You don't know. I'm, I'm so I'm, you know, I'm covered up. I want to protect those things. There are things that you will never see that actually I will protect in the event of an emergency. There are parts of my body that are on the highest list of critical need for protection. If a toddler runs in with a bat and he's flailing about swinging it, the first thing I do is I protect the most vulnerable members. You understand? And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. You want to keep those things safe 
If I run up to you stabbing at you with an ink pen, you don't say, hey, no, you, you hide your eyes. Because your eyes are easily wounded, and once stabbed, they don't function after that. An impaled eyeball, that's a bad thing. So you really protect those things because you know. Now, if you may put you put your hand up, right? Because you can hit the hand with the back. You can do. I mean, you've busted your hands all up, your arms. You've protected yourself through the years of that. When you fall down, you put your hands down, right? You don't fall down and go, oh, I don't want to hurt my hands. Bam! Smash your face on the concrete. You put your hands down. That's why when you fall down, your hands are all scuffed up. The better your hands scuffed than the rest of you, so it is in the body of Christ. There's parts of the body that will protect the other members. But now, the scripture we talked about before, if you cut yourself off from the body, that protection is no longer there. It's very dangerous. So we honor these parts. There are some members that we may see as less important or weaker. There are some members in the church that are less presentable. I would say, you know, I'm not going to take some people, and I'm not naming anyone, but if I'm not going to make that person or those people the poster child for Antioch, like print up a brochure and put, you know, not everyone's going to go on the front. I'd probably pick someone that I think, oh, that guy, I'd put, you know, I'd put Mihan on there. He's handsome, so, you know. Giving them a gang sign or something, you know, it's like we're cool. Look, we got Minghan. Yeah, I would put the pretty, pretty people. I would put, you know, that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to choose the less presentable people. We have people that come to the church at different times. That um, no, I'm glad that they would be. In fact, we've had come some come and go, uh, but we not necessarily we want to parade them out in front and prove to everyone our church because now that doesn't mean I don't love them. In fact. They consume more of my time and my energy and my affection and my communication than anyone else. When something goes wrong, because if anyone suffers, we all suffer. If one part suffers, every part suffers. When something goes wrong, there's a problem and it's communicated to me, I, will, I start to expend all my energy into that individual. And it can consume my whole life. Why? Because... That's the way it is. A little toe doesn't look important, but jam it on the edge of a door, your whole body cowers in deference to it. Ever run through the house that? Crack! And you snag your little toe on the edge of that door. Ah! 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 It hurts just thinking about it. Your whole body goes, ah! And you cover it, you cup it, you bounce around on one leg, you sit down, you cry, you look at it, you rub it, get some ice, get some ice. It's just a little toe. Just cut it off. No, you protect it. And it will demand your protection and your help, your assistance, if it gets into trouble. And that's what we are as the body of Christ. We watch out for each other. Number six. After saying all this now, Paul wants to clue you in on something. Right, I'm talking about this analogy, Paul says. The body, it's like, the body of Christ is like the human body. Very similar. Oh, oh, by the way, you are the body of Christ. And he tells the church directly, each one of you is a part of it. It's like he's telling you you have cancer or something. You know, like, Look, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it, whether you like it or not. And this is a fact. We are the body of Christ. In case you didn't know it, yet we are. You're part of it. You cannot escape this fact. If you believe in Jesus and confess Him as Lord, you are now a part of the body of Christ. Congratulations. What part you are, I don't know. Now, this is something, a mystery about um, pastors and leaders in the church that I want to talk to you about because there's some misunderstanding about leaders. We do not always understand the position of each member. We, don't, we can't always discern it. And this is what... The, the, see, by instinct, every member of your physical body knows what it is. And it becomes that. It might not like it in the case of this analogy, but it is that. It's what it is. It's designed that way. It grows up into that. It's a natural thing. In fact, what you are supposed to do in the body of Christ, you will find quite natural. It will be very comfortable to you. I'm not saying it's not work. 
You know, and under certain circumstances, it's work. Even if it's just pumping like the heart, sometimes it has to really pump. Also, by the way, the heart has to pump for the entirety of your lifetime. That's millions of beats. It beats and beats and beats forever. So it is whatever member in the body of Christ. You are part of that. Now, I don't always know what you are. People come to me all the time. What am I? Am I a foot or a hand or a lung or a toe? Am I a shoulder? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't always know. The more obvious parts, yeah, I will know. If in every meeting you stand up and start prophesying, okay, I can figure out. <laughs> Probably a prophet. And that is an important part of the body of Christ. I would accept that. But if I see all the time that you're talking and explaining things in great detail and accuracy and making it clear, precept upon precept, line upon line, you just have a way of explaining things that I did not understand. Ah, oh, I get it. Teacher. See, I can discern some things, but they're very obvious. But some other things, the more distinct functions of certain organs, things on the inside, that I don't know, I, I don't always know. I can't identify. I won't always recognize the pancreas. <laughs> if you put a pancreas in a bucket in front of me, I wouldn't know it's a pancreas. I, I would say, I don't know, um, pig organ? I don't know. I wouldn't know what it is. And I don't know. Maybe... Liver is a little easier. Gizzard I can recognize because I eat those and they're delicious. I recognize some. But it's like that. Pastors don't always understand. Leaders don't always know. You say, well then, how am I going to know? You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is your task, your obligation, nay, your privilege to find that function. And that's the next one, number seven. Find your place and function in the body of Christ. And God has placed in the church, first of all, he says, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, or all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? By the way, the answer to all those questions is no. For each one of them. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And I yet, I will, I will show you the most excellent way. Paul will demonstrate and help the church and help them to grow. But ultimately, the distinction of functions. And really, that's how you discover what you are. It's not what you are by title. Titles are worthless. Do you think a kidney cares that it's called a kidney? The kidney does not know that it's a kidney. The pancreas does not know it's a pancreas. It has no idea. It has no idea. My hand doesn't really know it's a hand. It just is. We stick names on it. I think that happens a lot in the body of Christ. In fact, this scripture kind of deviates from some of our doctrines about what the structure of the church really is because we tie it down to Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and there's only the five and that's it. can only be that. But here you see kind of a different discussion. And this is the way I gain clarity about this. You're not what you are called. You are what you do in the body of Christ. Now, if you're not doing anything, then there is no visible function then, then there's a problem. In fact, I find that anyone that is not functioning in the church will not remain for very long. In fact, it will atrophy. If you're not doing your function, what you're supposed to do, you will atrophy, the muscle will decay, eventually blood flow will stop, you will become necrotic, you will die and have to be cut off, you will just flake off like dead skin cells. I don't want that to be anybody. But inactivity will do that. Life comes from functionality. You do something. Something. See, the, over there is the life. Right now. Look, right over there. Those people. They're living. Look at Joe. He looks alive. What's he doing? He's fixing something for us. And it's important that... He does that. That is functionality. Now, he may not always do that, but he's doing it right now. We're all sharing in all those functions because I find if we don't have a function, we have no purpose to be here. 
Maybe at first the teachings are good, that's great, that's fast, that's great industry, but I'm telling you, you need to find your functionality. Not everybody's going to be the same, not, not everyone is a teacher, not everyone is an apostle, not everyone's going to work miracles, but we need them. We need the evangelists, we need teachers, we need pastors, we need prophets. When a prophet is functioning in place, they're very useful. And um, right now, we don't have any prophets, really, that have come and emerged in our congregation. I wish we did. I've had prophets come and go here. Uh, jo Johanna was a prophetess. When she was here, if in any situation I needed prophecy, I literally could just stick her up and say, Johanna, and it would be, boom, it would just come out because she had that gifting. So it's the same we need. I need someone like that in the body of Christ. And well, how, do, how are we going to know? Well, prophesy. The function itself will dictate who you are. When you prophesy, you do it more than once, do it twice, quack five times, you're a duck. <laughs> Moo twice. I'm going to think, cow. I had that little spinny wheel when I was a kid, you pointed, and the cow says, Brr. So it's the same, you know, and the teacher teaches. I'm going to make another wheel like that and put all the members of the body in their functions and you pull it, you know. The evangelist evangelizes. <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? The prophet prophesies. That'd be awesome. Nobody take my idea, right? I don't remember how to make a pattern. <laughs> Trying to earn some money and pay for missions works. Anybody part that ceases to function becomes dead. There has to be something. You must move and function and to, to do your part in the body. If you feel you do not know your function, you should ask the leaders to help you. We will teach just like I'm doing in a teaching like this. Find a task, find a job, find some form of contribution to the body of Christ. To the local church function in it with consistent action do it and by the way once again naming all these members some of the members don't seem very important if it's just pumping then pump if it's just extracting oxygen from the atmosphere the lung then do just do that and this is where a lot of people don't function they're waiting for some grandiose function I want to be a church plan. I'm an apostle. Praise God. Well, if you don't, don't start here now, you will never be that. I remember uh, Brother Roy Stockstill years ago said, a river and ocean doesn't change who you are. You send our missionary somewhere. If they're not already functioning in that, they're not. In my home church, I was already doing everything. I found every job. I was, I was probably the only ear that could see in my church. Because I found jobs that were not mine and awkwardly did them. I just tried in changing diapers as a teenager, you know, like doing whatever I had to do to try until by process of elimination, when that guitar got in my hand, hmm, and immediately people said, wow, you're anointed. Immediately, my true function started, because actually, that's all I can do. I can just do worship and I can teach. Other than that, I really can't do anything. Virtually useless. I can't do, there's a lot of things I can, most things I cannot do, but I can teach the Word of God, and I can worship. So that's my function. But my function is not going to be like everyone else. I'm not the best evangelist, honestly. I get too technical with people. You know, I can't, I can't simply evangelize. You know, Jesus died for you on the cross. I, I'm always like, you know, in actuality, you see. And they're like, I, I, I get too long-winded. I can't act when it's necessary. Of course, we're praying for God to help us all to be able to reach people, but I can do my part. If, you do your, if you're good at evangelizing, then just go get them, bring them here, and I will put them in a worship environment and teach them while you go get more and bring them in. Last night was interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Friday I was doing the music and I was doing a song by Journey, Faithfully. And an introduction to it is that very, you know, everybody knows it when they hear it. I was doing that, dun, 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 you know, playing it. And this lady was going by very quickly and when she heard it, she stopped and she said, that song. This is in public, you know, out in front of the restaurant. And I said, yeah. 
<laughs> and she said, oh, I was just singing that. And I thought, okay. She said, to Spikey. And I said, okay. <laughs> I said, uh, who's Spikey? Well, they, 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 they can only visit in prison. Oh, so the plot thickened. Hey, you're visiting Spikey in prison singing this song. One thing led to another, though, and she, she, a woman, she, I gathered a lot of information in a short period of time about her in prison visiting this person. She said certain things. Really sweet. Her name was Esther. And before she, she said, well, I really have to be going. I said, you know what, though? And I, but as she was starting to pull away, I reached, I grabbed her hand, and I pulled her in. I was still sitting at the piano. I pulled her in, and I, I would not let her go. And I looked her in the eyes. I said, Esther, I want to pray for you. So can I just pray for you and for Spikey? <laughs> hey, but in the moment, I meant it sincerely. I'm going to pray for Spikey. <laughs> And I did. I prayed for Spikey. I prayed for Esther and asked. And you know, she tears came in her eyes. She was so happy. I told her where the church was, how to get here, look, come. It's over there, this, that, the other. And um, well, she's not here tonight. But still, everybody, amen. Let's pray for Spikey. Jesus, bring in Spikey. Bring in Esther. Bring those people. I asked for God to help. And it turned out Esther had formerly been in, in jail. And I said, it's okay. We've got people in our church that were in jail. <laughs> She said, really? I said, yeah, really. If you were here Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday, really, God was doing some amazing things. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully. We went in intercession. We prayed some very specific things. I specifically said, God, give us the criminals. Give us the people from the prison. Give us the people that don't want to be anywhere else and cannot be accepted anywhere else. And as soon as that woman came and said that, I thought, yeah, people like her and Spikey. I want to fill the church with the. I said it in intercession, so get ready for what's going to happen soon. I pray. I said, God, I want people in the church that make us hire persons. You understand? People that you think this guy looks like he might get out of hand. That's what we need. We need people that need help. Jesus didn't come to heal the well, but the sick. Finding the function. Now, of course, if you see a need, meet it. That's really how you find your function. You see a need, meet the need. If you do not see a need, obviously, seek out a need. And if you can't find a need after looking for it, well, then ask us. There's always something that can be done, and if you did it, it sure makes our lives easier. And more and more that's happening as the church is maturing and people are taking these jobs and these tasks and all these things. And I'm grateful for it. We need to work. I remember in uh, our... Church years ago, I met a man. Some pastors are very gifted at helping put people there. We had a brother, actually I mentioned him a little while ago, Roy Stockstill. The guy was amazing at finding people's functions or making people functional. <laughs> uh, I'll give you an instance. The first time I ever met him and spoke to him face to face, I was in a, a foyer in a construction site where they were working. And he walked up, hey brother, how are you? He's so sweet. And I shook his hand and said, Brother, brother, what's your name? I said, I'm, I'm Stephen. Hey, Stephen, I'm, I'm Pastor Roy. And I shook his hand. I said, hey, Pastor Roy. He said, let me ask you something, brother. What are you doing right now? <laughs> and I said, I'm just um, here uh, just visiting you know, um, my friend. You want to do me a favor? And I said, yeah. Well, you know, and, he, and he immediately put me to work doing a task. And I did that little tag. Like, it could be sweet. He did this with everybody he ever met. Always. Hey, how are you? So sweet. You're always, hey, Brother Roy, how are you? You got a moment? We need somebody to take carry this rubbish bin to the South Foyer. Could you do that before you take off? Oh, yes, sir. And everybody loved doing it. He would employ like a thousand people a day. Like <laughs> Seriously, it's amazing. No one could say no to this old gentleman. And he, he was the founder of Bethany World Prayer Center. Years went by. The church, of course, now it's uh, 20,000-plus 20, 20, members, massive church, doing lots of great things. Brother Larry Stocksdale is his son now. Larry is semi-retired and traveling as a world evangelist teacher, and now his son has taken the church. So it's the grandson of Roy. Roy was always good at that. I had one friend of mine that met Brother Roy. He put him to work. He showed up in the morning. Just got. He didn't get out until like that night. Late that night. <laughs> 
He says, every job I did, he says, when I was finished, Brother Roy would come up again. And just as I was finishing, and that's, a, that's the way it was, just as you finish the job, you think, okay, I'm done, I can go. He would just appear out of nowhere. Hey, brother, you did such a great job. You know, <laughs> maybe you could also, you know, and then be the next job. He would just keep job after job after job after job. Till you would have to run away to escape it. I think it's a great, that's a good leader. That's what a leader does. He was there working too. He'd have his little overalls on, you know, out there. come on, we're going to work for Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> he was that, that age from the, uh, you know, the, like the, uh, Joel Osteen's father uh, was uh, good friends with him. They were like best friends. And they just that same genre. I can do a really good cover. I can preach like they preach. Because like, I'm from that neck of the woods, as they call it. Amen. Let's look at this list of things we saw. The body of Christ. The body of Christ is a collection of many. We are an eclectic. We are an amalgam of curiosities. All so different and unique. And whether you like it or not, you can't separate from the body of Christ. We're all members in this body. We need to make the best of it. God put the body of Christ together as He chose. He decided for this to be the way it is. And I believe that we are operating and conforming to the plan of the Father. And each person will find their place in the eternal template of the structure of the body of Christ. And I'm excited about helping us all find it. And it says, do not say you don't need each part of the body of Christ. You can't say, I don't need you. Because you're speaking out of ignorance. You don't know. You probably do. In fact, I know, according to the scriptures, you do need all the people. Now, there are exceptions. If someone is a violent criminal that's hurting people, of course, we don't need that. But I doubt that person is really saved. We're talking, people, remember how you become a part of the body. You have to be washed. The Spirit of the Lord comes, cleanses you, and then you actually drink of the Spirit. So it's living in the anointing, yielding to the Holy Spirit. We give greater honor to the weak parts of the body of Christ. At least we should. There's somebody you think, well, you know, they're a bit problematic. Well, you need to pay more attention to them. As my wife always says, if somebody's looking for attention, they need it. You know, we always say that, well, that person's just looking for attention. Well, that's probably because they need it. If you're looking for shoes in your house, I don't question why. <laughs> you're obviously going outside, you need shoes. How many of you see my shoes? Why are you looking for your shoes? Because I need my shoes. So if you're looking for attention, you need some attention. You see people like that. Just pay some attention. Love those people. Take that extra minute uh, to just pay attention to people. Know that you are the body of Christ. You are. Paul breaks the news to us very clearly. He says, you, you know, you're the body. You're the body, and you're all members of it. You can't get out of it. So that's what we are. I'm happy that we are. Number seven, find your place and function in the body of Christ. And that's exactly what we need to do. Find a little job, whatever the thing is. If, if you, I mean, the people who are already functioning or doing multiple things, they probably could share some of those functions with you. You might see someone say, well, you know, I like to watch Caleb come and set up and do this and do that. And Caleb would not be angry if you wanted to take some of the tasks that he's doing, no matter how small. I'm telling you, even if it's just one little thing, it endears you and empowers you to be the body. And then, and then those are the people, the people doing something, they're always going to be. They stay and they function. Same for all of us. Amen.